0: Back in Minnesota today with Living the Guide Life, and turkey season starting to keep rolling. Got people bow fishing left and right, and it's only a matter of time before Minnesota's fishing opener starts here. Um, I know that'll be a lot of fun. Always is. Hopefully nice and warm at that time. It's really starting to get nice out. It was about 90 degrees yesterday here. Dropped back down to 60 today, which that Minnesota weather is something else. And hopefully we can get into, uh, I'm going to go see if I can shoot my grandpa turkey this next week with the warmer weather moving in. They should be more active where he's at. And then as well as try to get some bow fishing in maybe this weekend. Um, I know a lot of guys have been doing really well with the warmer weather coming up. Fish has starting to move shallow and it's just a great time to get out, um, get some of those late nights rolling and uh, go shoot a bunch of carp. But today's episode is also brought to you by, once again, Chase foul Outfitters. Hope you guys can go check us out. Um, shoot me a message if you have any more questions on how to get dialed in with us for next year. We will be at the Dive Bomb Squadcast, uh, Squad Fest. And so make sure to check us out if you're over there. I know I'll be there walking around. Can't wait to talk to anybody that's been listening. And I know a bunch of great people are going to be there. So it's really something that everyone should kind of look into and uh, see if they have some time on their schedule to go check it out. Because it's just going to be a great atmosphere and a lot of fun people are going to be there. But we also have Bourbon Media. They're going to give you their uh, rundown on everything that they're doing in the
1: outdoor industry
0: and uh, how that maybe you can get connected with them. So I'll give them
2: a little time here if you're a small business owner in the outdoor industry we get it the words digital marketing can be intimidating you're a grunt work sweat it out bust your chops kind of person who's addicted to progress and put all of your time and energy into operating your business we at bourbon media can help you push it even further We're digital marketing experts. I'm talking web development, content creation, social media management, SEO, paid advertising, the whole nine yards. And as fellow outdoorsmen, we know the industry. Keep your business up to date and expand your reach with digital marketing that is directed at your core market. We are Bourbon Media. Cheers to progression.
0: And once again, I'm super excited for you guys to be able to see what this partnership is going to bring and how we can really get the outdoor industry thriving uh, just by doing really anything on upping that media content and getting some of those websites dialed in because that is one thing the outdoor industry is lacking is just the modernize of technology. And we're growing there. Um, don't get me wrong. The media content's getting better and better and people are really starting to dial in their social media pages and websites And that's just something that we are really going to try to bring to light for you guys. So, hope you can check that out. And uh, let's roll it. We got two of my buddies that I've been friends with for one of them since I was about sixth grade. And then his roommate who I was fortunate enough to meet last year on the hunts we did up towards the Bemidji area. And they are huge bass fishermen do the college bass tournaments they fish for Bemidji state. And these guys are the real deal. They put their heart and soul into all things, bass fishing and just really know how to dial these fish in anywhere they go around the country. Um, Super fun to watch them and their success and how they've grown from high school bass fishing all the way to college and kind of what that insight is on what it means to be a college bass fisherman. So, I hope you guys really enjoy this one for you bass fishermen out there. It's getting that time of year. hope you guys are getting your boats out. And uh, for the seasons that are open, going to catch some pretty nice bass. So hopefully this gives you some insight on maybe how to catch a few more. So have fun. And we are live with Living the Guide Life today in Minnesota, and we have some Minnesota locals on. They are college bass fishermen up at Bemidji State in Bemidji, Minnesota. And we're going to dig into what it's like to be a college bass fisherman, tournament angler, and some of their high school career as well. And uh, we are here with Kobe Koenig and Ben Anderson. How are we doing today, gentlemen?
2: Doing good. Thanks for having us on. Yeah,
0: thank
3: you very much. Appreciate it. (laughs)
0: yeah anytime gentlemen it's uh it's good to hear you
4: guys and uh heard you had your first tournament this year yeah yeah we just got back about uh about a month ago um down on lake hartwell in anderson south carolina and uh yeah it was good to get away from uh the cold weather up here in minnesota get down there and get on the water and yeah it was good to get back in the group of things and
0: uh when you're fishing like new pieces of water what do you kind of look for
2: uh, we look for like a lot of different things. It's <laughs> Lake Hartwell's are like way bigger lake than almost any lake in Minnesota. And you can like, really, we try to break it down into like different pieces of different sections of it. And each we have a couple days to practice. So each day we kind of check out like different pieces of the lake. I don't know. Kobe probably has more to add on to it. Okay.
4: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Like, like Ben said, that most of these lakes that we have tournaments on are massive. And so in those couple of days of pre-fishing that we have, yeah, like Ben said, we really try to break it down into sections and really hone in on one specific area uh for every day of practice and try to figure out what the fish are doing. Okay, fair enough.
0: Yeah, that's kind of like uh waterfall hunting then too. Kind of figure out an yeah, area yeah, and just kind of sure. break it down.
4: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of similarities um, you know, between the two kind of dialing in one specific area versus, you know, trying to you know go all over the state trying to find a group of birds it's you're you know you're better off focusing on one area and you know dialing them in from there absolutely
0: and uh with learning all these skills that you guys have taken in throughout the years how'd you kind of get all started to fishing please start uh, off like
2: if you want uh, yeah i think it's kind of pretty similar for both of us like kind of like family my dad fished his whole life and i kind of got in through it through him and relatives also, and So I kind of started through there. And then as I got older, I kind of branched off and started going to like ponds around where I lived and got into it from there and really kind of got a key in on like bass fishing and just really loved doing that. And I kind of got started there.
4: Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a pretty, uh, similar experience my childhood. Um, yeah, I grew up on a resort up in Northern Minnesota and that's kind of where I learned to fish that we had, I think we had like 13 or 14 docks. Um, and so before I ever had a boat, I would literally just go from dock to dock every day. And I actually, I grew up musky fishing. That's how I kind of learned how to um, cast a bait caster was chucking and winding big musky baits. And from there I got introduced to bass fishing and I kind of just fell in love with it. And that's what I've done ever since. Yeah. Oh,
0: absolutely. And actually, me and uh, Benny used to go on trips to Canada. I'd go tag along with his family over Father's Day weekend. And, uh, I mean, you could tell he was a bass fisherman at heart. We'd be going, taking this little skiff boat that they had, and uh, he would swim underneath the water, put a GoPro on a spawning bed for smallies, and we'd go (laughs) catch them on film.
2: Yeah, that was, I kind of keyed in on, like, just, like, I just thought it was like catching them off beds was like a cool deal. And I filmed some of it and even kind of like swam around and just like watched them in a natural habitat. Thought That was like a really cool deal. And I have to give some credit to chance to, to getting into bass fishing too. And we used to go up to his cabin in the Brainerd lakes area. And we used to fish off his lake and that like really kind of got a start for me there. Really yeah. fell in love with it.
0: Dude, that was so much fun going up to Canada. Like, We'd hit it the perfect time too, because the smallies would be on beds. We'd just go slay, slam every single day.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, there's in Canada. It's a special place. You can catch a lot of fish up there. Yeah, no,
3: that was that was a lot of fun. And then, like your guys' high school careers as well. Um, how did that all go about? Ben, you want you want to
4: go first? You want me to take it? You can go. All right uh yeah so i i began tournament fishing in general i began um i would say my seventh or eighth grade year um just did some tournaments with my dad uh some local tournaments and yeah i just fell in love with it i come from a super athletic background and so that competitiveness was kind of always there and that really transitioned into tournament fishing and so um the i'm from grand rapids uh in case anybody didn't know that. And so our team started, I believe my freshman year, um, a couple of us got together and decided we needed a high school fishing team. Um, it's really grown in Minnesota, in Minnesota the last couple of years. And we figured it was time for us to have a fishing team. And so my ninth grade year, I believe um, we started out and I, I will never forget. Uh, I thought that I was, you know, I was really good at fishing and and bass fishing and tournament fishing and I'll never forget going into that first high school tournament and I got my butt whooped and <laughs> that uh, that kind of lit a fire under me and um, I really, ever since that moment, I've I've tried to be the best that I can be and that has translated into where I'm at today. Um, I had a fairly successful uh, high school career um, and I, I had a lot of fun, made a ton of friends. That's That's one of the things that I feel like has come out of high school fishing in general is the friends that I've made. Um, obviously Ben and I, um, grew up like four hours apart and now, uh, you know, we're, we're really good friends We're college roommates. And I feel like that has a lot to do with college or uh, high school fishing. So.
2: Yes, for sure. I kind of had a similar experience as Colby did. I kind of started out fishing my, I think I fished two tournaments my freshman year of high school and i Never really fished a tournament before. Didn't really know what I was doing, but just went out fishing and really enjoyed it. Just like Kobe, I got my head kicked in, didn't catch, didn't catch much. But as you kind of grew older and learned more, you kind of got better and you could compete with other people and yeah, about the same kind of concept
1: as him.
3: Fair enough. And if they were to
0: offer a walleye um tournament team instead of a bass team do you think you would have maybe changed aspects and maybe trying to do the walleye
4: team instead of the bass team or what are your what are your thoughts on ben, that if they had that ben definitely would i i think he likes walleye fishing more than bass fishing sometimes
2: yeah uh i just i love just fishing like anything i love panfish walleyes bass i do prefer bass over anything for sure but like when the season's closed right now in Minnesota, I try to get out as much as my, as much as I can and chase the crappies around. And even in the winter, I chase the crappies and the walleyes around as much as I can. But I do prefer bass over anything. And if I know there's been, there's not really walleye teams for high school, but they have done some multi-species tournaments okay. that do include walleyes. There are very few, but there have been a couple throughout the years. And I, I don't know if they haven't just gained traction, but just hasn't been something that has caught on, but I would not be surprised if in the future it was something that would catch on and there'd be more of them for high schoolers.
4: Yeah. I completely agree with you, Ben. Obviously growing up in Minnesota while, you know, I mean, it's walleye, nobody, nobody up here even knows what a bass is um, for, for your average Minnesotan. So I definitely think that uh, there's a market for it and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw it in the future. Yeah.
0: I always thought about that. I. I mean, I personally like the walleye fish a lot, but Benny's got me to bass fish a few times. And I like it, but, like, walleye fishing, I have a lot of fun doing that. If you can really catch them. Like, yeah. You take the golf cart out? Oh, the, dude, the golf cart rips. You should have seen last summer, dude. I was I was up in Brainerd just ripping on golf in the little golf cart, and people were just like, I guess. Can't explain, like, explain the golf cart a little bit. Okay, yeah. So last summer, me and my grandpa rebuilt an old boat, bought it for like 800 bucks, got a 25 horse on it and uh, this makeshift steering wheel and it's on a pulley system. So every time I want to turn with the steering wheel, like the pulley system in the back will like twist up sometimes, but it's, it's pretty neat. And like, it's like 19, it's like a 1970 and uh motor and boat and it's a 16 foot boat. And, like, we redid the entire thing, put a nice little uh, foot-trolling motor on the front, and I got a big Helix 7 graph on it, and uh, it's got green carpet in it, and I brought it up to Bemidji, and they were just giving me shit about it because it was, like, <laughs> it's just like a golf cart. And Toby over here has got a flexed-up duck rig, so I had to flex on him a little bit.
4: We never made it out in it, sadly.
0: Dude, I'm telling you. Against the rice, you can't beat it. Like it'll tear through any rice patty you even throw at it.
4: Uh, (laughs) I'll take your word for it. I'm I don't know if I will come aboard it though. Dude, well when we went back to Brainerd, um
0: the like I was barely taking it through any rice and it was struggling. Like it was (laughs) really struggling. Like I thought the motor was gonna blow up. (laughs) (laughs) it was it was terrible dude we're literally like cruising the river and i'm going like 25 or whatever with it and uh then you'd get into like that back bay and there's like dude there's not even rice paddies around like they're they're like hidden underneath the water and i would just run through them and then my boat would just stop and i'm just like "Mm, that'll happen it was terrible dude it was terrible we got to just rip your mud motor around yeah yeah I,
4: I need to use it more for sure
0: dude when i for the people that don't know these guys are uh huge waterfall hunters as well um and we do some hunting when i go up to bemidji when the season closes down south and we went up there last year killed some cranes and smashed our geese in the same field uh two days in a row literally we're landing in the ditch with us like it's crazy up there it's just not a is it just not a hunted area
4: i mean it it is um i was like bemidji bemidji state in general um is a pretty waterfowl heavy destination i would say There's a lot of kids that that get after it um yeah but just kind of need to get away from the crowd i think that um you know we're this is our second year in bemidji and we kind of got our heads kicked in um our freshman year, and um you know just trying to you, you go to a new place yeah. and obviously you're gonna be dealing with with uh you know local pressure and we didn't know what we were doing really, and so yeah we it took us a while to kind of figure it out, but obviously just you know gaining permission here and there and kind of finding your own little area that's unpressured definitely uh helped this season, yeah, we had a pretty good season
2: yeah for sure and. You know, like Kobe was saying, like we have found last kind of the end of last season, we found a little core area we thought held a lot of birds. And this year we were able to like expand on it, and especially that weekend you came up, we found a special little feed that had a bunch of geese using it, a bunch of cranes, and both days we were able to shoot them up pretty well. And it kind of went as good as you could plan.
4: Yeah. Well, <laughs> with, what I have well, what Ben? We were hunting on what Monday? Yeah, I believe we're. So we were we were out hunting and got a few birds and kind of wanted to go check out. We we noticed that there's a lot of birds pushing in, wanted to go check out a couple of our other fields and yeah, the the field that we ended up hunting, we found out it was loaded. (laughs) Call up chance on the way back. We're like, dude, get up here now. Chance is like I'm like six hours away. We're like, I don't care, get up here. (laughs) What time did you even get to Amidji? Dude, I got there like one
0: thirty in the morning. They're like, yeah. So, what we were going to do, we were going to go up there. And then Ben's like, yeah, well, you know, we, we aren't seeing many birds. And we have like a bass tournament. So, like, we're, we're not going to hunt, I don't think. And I'm like, God, all right, well, I got to go to Brainerd then. And then he calls me last minute. He's like, dude, you got to come up. Everything's off. Like, we're going to shoot them up.
2: And I got there like one thirty with Jack and John. His <laughs> pretty last minute we found it like that morning before and I had like called you a lot the night before and kind of said like, don't come up. Like there's not many birds around. And we went and hunted that morning just to kind of see and a bunch of birds must've pushed in and we found that feed and gave you a call and you guys came up. I don't even think we slept that night. You got to our house and then about a half hour later we took off for the field and the rest is history. Yeah, dude, we
0: literally didn't sleep. We just had Joe and them come over and we just hung out, just talked and then we just got up and shot our eight man and whistle by eight. We literally could have killed like easily a 15 if we would have had the guys.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Like we're picking up they're like trying to land all around us. Yeah. It was, it was probably those two days combined. were probably easy, easily one of the better Minnesota hunts that I've ever had. And I've obviously hunted Minnesota my entire life. And that was, it was pretty special couple of days.
2: Yeah. It was, Definitely like a special field where they were they were landing really close to a ditch. And the ditch was about if you put a layout blind in it, you were just about like eye level with the field. And so just it was just a perfect hide where birds couldn't pick you out and we were
1: just it was set. Dude, yeah. And then Ben calls him, he's like, Yeah. Or
0: no, when we were going to set up, he's like, Yeah, they're kind of like landing in the ditch. So like we could throw layouts out right in this ditch line where like these cattails are or whatever, and uh, you would disappear. I'm like, dude, there's no way they're landing in the ditch, but like, all right, fair enough. And uh <laughs> he was literally not kidding. Like when we were calling at him, they were landing in the ditch with us. And it was like it must have been that grass down there that they were feeding off of.
3: Like that fresh grass that we were Had laying on been. top of. Had to have been. Yeah.
4: Cause it was like it it got it got tilled really early. Yeah. That field did. I don't yeah.
2: All the all the fields like kind of in the area of the hunt, there's not much corn up there. It's a lot of like wheat fields. They all seem to get tilled really early. So it can be a big problem trying to. We've had a couple hunts where it's really hard to hide layouts or even A-frames in there. You just get picked out like a sore thumb. But that one was special where we could get in that ditch. Yeah.
0: Dude, I was low-key thinking about it. And I talked to Forrest about this on like, what if a guy did run tall socks? and laid in them in Minnesota. And we were kind of chatting about it and kind of figuring out like what scenario would be the right scenario. It would have to be like enough wind to move the stocks, but like not enough to like just keep throwing them around. Because when you look at a field of geese in it, like big geese, they're kind of just more chill and they're not as active as like the lessers are when they're jumping around. And that's why lessers work so well over socks. And I was wondering about
1: if you think that would be a possibility in Minnesota. Are you saying like using socks for big
3: geese? Yeah. Like using, you know, like dive bombs, tall socks.
1: Yeah. Or you're saying trying to hide under them.
0: Yeah. Like do like the backboard type deal like you would for Correct. little geese and hunt them under that.
1: Yeah.
2: I almost yeah there is a stereotype where like some people a lot of people are afraid to run socks for like big geese for Canadians but it's it's tough to say because I feel like it's kind of like not a lot of people have tried it at least that I know of Where like down south a lot of people run them for lessers and are really successful doing it at that and so I think it would be cool to experiment with that to try to on those fields where you can't hide a layout to try to lay underneath socks for them
0: yeah because like down where we're at they're just A bunch of tilled fields that are just black dirt. And some fields you'll have like bunches of geese landing in them for no reason at all. And then it's like
2: possible high. And I was like, Yeah, we we definitely ran into that when we were, we went out to North Dakota for early goose. And it seemed like the only fields we could find with birds in them were just basically dirt fields. Yeah. That from like last year and like nothing was planted in them. And it was just impossible to try to hunt them because we tried like everything we could think of, try and get a hide, but it just, nothing seemed to work. We could just scratch a few out each day, but just it wasn't anything that we, we were expecting. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because I was thinking about buying, like, just five or ten dozen, and then
3: experimenting with it, and then if I came up to the we could test it out there.
4: Like, yeah. Yeah, I think, for sure.
3: I think no, and
4: with how much pressure there is, just i mean everywhere everywhere in the united states it's so pressured and so i i certainly like messing around with different things and it's no different than than i i guess i'll relay it back to bass fishing but just giving them something different that they haven't seen um which yeah i those those birds in that feel with the ditch obviously I haven't seen that before yeah so it, you know just these these birds are so smart we don't give them enough credit
1: yeah oh
2: exactly and definitely the same thing with fish too you such small details can make such a big difference like color wise weight wise size like even just the finest details can make all the difference in both waterfall hunting and bass fishing
0: yeah and when you're like choosing out a bait um and like deciding on where you want to start um on like a certain lake like a weed line or out deep or right in the shallows like how do you kind of figure out when the best time to do that and like color wise and what kind of bait you would use in certain
3: scenarios you just threw a lot at me there
1: yeah let's let's
2: that's a little bit question there's (laughs) there's a lot that goes into it yeah it kind of just it can depend on like the weather, if it's sunny, cloudy, like temperature, it can, a lot of it depends on water clarity. Okay. And so there's a lot of factors that go into it. And a lot of it can also depend on like the forge. It depends what the bass are feeding on. So a lot of the bass up here, they'd be chasing bluegills, perch, crayfish, and stuff like that. Where down south, like when we were down on Lake Hartwell, it's like a herring lake. They're chasing like blueback herring, which is just a small little bait fish that's like Kind of a silverish color, yeah. And, and so, like a lot of it can be trying to like match the the forge that they're eating is a lot of color, like in yeah. size of bait. Yeah,
4: and what species you're going after. Um, uh, like for instance, on Lake Hartwell, um, we we spent half of our days fishing for largemouth, half half of the day fishing fishing for uh spotted bass, and two completely different things that we were doing really. Um. One, you know, the first day we were, we were up in a river in dirty water, um, casting uh, like a foot of water probably. yeah. Uh, and, the, and those large mouth were like just, but uh, they are they're very pre-spawn getting ready to spawn. Um, and then switch to the second half of the day. And, uh, we were out in 50 some feet of water in crystal clear water out in the main lake fishing Jeez. tiny little swim baits for spotted bass and so like there's there's so many different things and like ben said i I would say the biggest thing would be time of year as far as where you're going to fish up here in minnesota um obviously when it's cold the fish are going to be up shallow but i would say the majority of fish during the warmer months are going to be like you said on that on that outer weed line or you know, on rocks or that kind of stuff.
2: And there are definitely fish everywhere in the country, uh, that stay shallow year round. And it's, and like a lot of guys can like compete in tournaments just by fishing shallow year round everybody. It's kind of like the popular thing to do to go out and fish deep, fish offshore. Once it kind of gets into like that June, July, August months, but there's a lot, you can still compete in tournaments, fishing up shallow. Yeah cuz I love
0: that's my way of fishing up shallow is uh casting that what's that worm called again um senko yeah that worm yeah the senko dude I I skip those things under the dock that's my that's my way of fishing
4: yeah and there's a lot of people that are you know obviously really successful at that even at the pro level um for people that fall the um you know pro circuits or whatnot john cox has made millions of dollars off of fishing in five feet and less and really? so and that, and that's year round um wow. and so and that's what he's good at that's what he sticks with and he makes a pile of money doing it
2: And a lot of a lot of like you're back going back to the last question like choosing your uh choosing your bait can it can be depend a lot of it on confidence everybody has like baits that are confident in. even with walleye fishing like if you have a certain jig color or jig size that you just have confidence in, you've caught a lot of fish on. Yeah, you can. That's kind of be your going to be your go to, what you're going to start with, and then you can branch out from there. Okay.
1: What's your favorite way of fishing for bass?
2: Um, my biggest confidence biggest confidence bait is probably just like a flipping a Texas rig up shallow for for especially for largemouth. I love a craw tube. Okay. So any type of craw tube, flipping a craw around wood or any type of vegetation, and then when it comes to smallmouth, my favorite is drop shot. Mm-hmm. I've caught hundreds of smallmouth on a drop shot, and I just every single time fishing smallmouth, it's probably the first
1: bait I pick up.
4: Fair enough. How about you, Kobe? I am pretty darn similar. Uh, when it comes to largemouth, I I really well if if I'm going to slow down with something, I'm gonna be flipping a Texas rig similar to Ben. Um if I feel like I can get away with a moving bait, I'm gonna throw a chatterbait. Um that's there's you you I feel like you have to cover a lot of water in a lot of tournaments, at least to find fish. And then once you find fish you can slow down. But um I really like covering water and the best way to do that is with a moving bait. Um and mine is my go to is a chatterbait. As far as smallmouth, um, kind of that same same approach. If I have to slow down, it's going to be with a drop shot. Um, if I'm moving around, it's going to be a small swim bait. Yeah. Fair enough.
0: When I was talking to your dad, Eric, which we had on earlier as a podcast, um, one of my original OGs, and uh, we were talking about that way that you fish in the right. And what's kind of like? How do you catch bass and rice?
4: Um, yeah, I guess that that's a question for me, right, Ben? <laughs> you you don't want to take that one?
2: Uh, I'll let you take that one. You're a little okay. more experienced than I do. Okay.
4: Uh, yeah. So I'm. I've been fortunate enough. I I am currently staring out my window at at home here in Grand Rapids, and I overlook thousands of acres of wild rice. Um, which I've been like really fortunate to have grown grown up fishing, and so I've kinda cut my teeth on it over the years and kind of figure out how to do it um but on the Mississippi here at least there's there's a pile of wild rice, and the fish kind of use current breaks and and that kind of stuff try to they they go into the wild rice and wait for anything to kind of float down current and so what happens is is you have your main current channel but then it's essentially just a giant bay with the current with the channel running straight through it and the rest of its wild rice and so the edge of the of the river is completely made up by wild rice and what these fish do is they position themselves out of the current and wait for anything to really float by and so just you can basically just pitch to the edge of edge of the wild rice which out here it's it's typically anywhere from it can be anywhere from two feet to 10 feet yeah really it doesn't it doesn't really matter wherever they feel like they can position themselves get out of the current um and yeah just when it when it's warmer out i <laughs> slow down i flip to the edge when it's when it's colder out or i feel like i can get away with the moving bait i just parallel the wild rice and cover water that way but Yeah, so it's it's really interesting. It's it's very unique to northern Minnesota. Wild rice is and I I don't know. I that's when Ben says do what you're confident in, that's one thing that I'm definitely confident in.
0: Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. And for you guys fishing in Minnesota your whole life,
1: what's your favorite lake or spot to go bass fish? Um I'm kinda
2: here, I just in I just love smallmouth. So I think my lakes will kind of be pretty similar to Kobe. I love like catching like in the summer, catching deep smallmouth, especially on a drop shot. So one of my favorite lakes that I've kind of grown to fishing a lot is Lake Malax, which is one of the best smallmouth lakes in the country. Yeah. And is a lot of you can catch smallmouth from 30 feet all the way up to dirt shallow and you can kind of do anything out there. The fish out there are pretty smart. They've there's, it's gotten a lot of pressure since some of the pro circus have been there a couple years, but it's
1: still one of the best lakes in Minnesota for sure. Yeah. How about you? Cody?
4: Um, oh boy. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I love smallmouth. Um, kind of like, like Ben was saying, I haven't had the greatest track record on the lacs, so I don't, I don't know if I can say that's my favorite necessarily. Um, <laughs> but i have really come to like lake vermilion Mm. um in the northeast part of the state (laughs) um had a couple tournaments up there over the last couple years and really grown to enjoy that i i love electronics i'm an electronics junkie and that lake graphs better than anything i've ever seen in the entire country and like what Um, do you mean by that it graphs better uh so on your electronics, you're you're idling around looking for stuff. Yeah. And what you see on your side imaging or um, you know, 2D, that kind of stuff. It just looks amazing. There's giant rock, there's slate rock, there's chunk rock, there's gravel, oh, wow. and it's it's very, very appealing to the eye. And so that really gets me excited. And there's millions of smallmouth
1: sketch up there too. So that's not terrible. Yeah, I don't know.
4: Yeah,
0: I've never uh not a big electronics guy not as flexed up as y'all,
4: but yeah, no, that'd be <laughs> that'd be exciting. I feel like that'd be fun to go to. And there. it's and it's one of the prettiest lakes I've ever been on as well. Yeah. Um just
2: Vermilion is also probably one of the best walleye fisheries in Minnesota too.
4: So. Ben
0: had to throw that in there. Yeah. Well, Ben's a natural walleye fisherman.
2: <laughs> I do love my walleye's occasionally. Occasionally. Dude, you're your purebred <laughs> walleye
0: fisherman, dude. You go up to Canada just to catch walleyes.
2: Yeah, I split my time pretty evenly between walleyes and bass up there, but that's just because they're pretty easy to catch up there. Where down in Minnesota I tend to toward, go towards bass because growing up in the cities, there's there's some options to catch walleyes down there, but it's not as plentiful as they are up north around here. So I spent a lot of my time bass fishing, but when I went up north, I did spend some time walleye fishing. And I think being, uh, like a well-versed angler in targeting different species, you can learn a lot just from like, you can connect stuff from like how fishing walleyes can like connect to bass fishing and just seeing like how the fish, like, like sit on structure and how they like relate to stuff. And you can like learn a lot from each different species and kind of like connect the dots of where they are like all times of the year. Andy likes filling the freezer
4: naturally.
1: Yeah, no, with, uh, with Canada
0: being closed last year, you didn't go. And then you hoping that it might open back up.
2: Yeah, I, I was hoping it was going to be open this year, but it looks like it's not hopefully by next winter. So some of those resorts up there can start getting their business back and everything else can kind of hopefully get back to semi-normal. But last year, Instead of going to Canada, we took a week and went to Lake Vermilion and had a blast up there catching bass and walleyes. And this year we were going to go up to Voyagers, but I don't think that's going to happen because Kobe and I are going to be, or at least I'm not going to be going there, but I'm sure the rest of my family is. But Kobe and I are going to be going to another college bass tournament in Saginaw Bay on Lake Huron in Michigan.
1: Oh, dang. That'll be intense.
4: Yeah. Yeah, super excited for that. I believe what are the dates on that, Ben? I believe it's the second or third week in June.
2: Yeah, June 16th and 17th. Okay. Yeah.
4: Dang. So, yeah, super excited for that. Um at least I haven't I don't believe Ben has fished any Great Lakes. No. Oh. Yeah. So, I'm I'm very pumped for it. Um smallmouth fishery. You can catch largemouth too, but it's kind of known for its smallmouth and I feel like I mean there's, there's kids that'll be going to it from all over the country. And so if we did have an upper hand, I would say this is the tournament to be at. So. Yeah. Fair enough.
2: Is a good old Pat going to be there? I don't think Pat's going to be at this one. The first, when we were at Hartwell, Pat was there. Pat's a friend of mine who I grew up and actually met through fishing. Like Kobe was saying earlier, I've met some of my best friends just through high school fishing, even from my team and, people like kobe where they live four hours from me but i just we just grown to be friends and that was one big aspect of high school fishing that i think is really cool for everyone is you can meet people from all over the state but pat pat won't be there i'm sure when we fish them next fishing tournaments next year down south pat will be there i got you
0: i was seeing pat down in uh south carolina
2: It was good we we kind of we stayed with pat and just because i know him so well we were able to kind of practice with him and like we kind of used each other to break down the fishery and try to figure it out so we could both benefit off of it and actually pat was only cut to one day of practice and we had a few more but the first day of the tournament pat we had like 12 high like 12 and a half 12 and three quarters and he was sitting pretty good he had a little struggle on day two but that's just part of it and it happens to everyone, but, and we, we struggled on day one and caught him a little better day two. So it's, but I definitely believe that like working together benefited both of us and we were able to figure some stuff out and we were in completely different areas of the lake, but we're kind of doing, catching them a similar way. So it really helped both of us.
4: Yeah, I would completely agree with that. You see it at the pro level too. Um, A lot of guys that, room together there'll be four or five of them and they they do kind of you know they help they help each other out to a point obviously you know there's there's a $125,000 online or or whatever it is for every tournament but wow. they the way that they do it they you know they don't give up everything that they have and and we don't we don't either at the you know at the college level but feel we both feel like we can benefit each other. Um and that's the biggest thing. And I I completely agree with Ben that um teamwork does help, especially, you know, down down a lake where we, like neither of us have ever ever been to it. So um, you know, breaking down a giant lake like that definitely helps when you have two two boats out on the water. Yeah. No, absolutely. Do you think uh the reason Pat's not going to that tournament is because
0: girlfriend's holding them back or what?
4: I think what from from what I heard, I don't think he wants to sink his boat.
2: <laughs> yeah, and uh, Saginaw Bay is quite known for large waves. It's not really much protection from, the, from waves out there, and it's just a massive place, and it can be a little sketchy in a boat. And you just have to watch the weather, but I know Pat's going to be in Minnesota, and Pat actually goes to school down to the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, and so his partner's from down there, so it's just kind of, Unfortunate that the lakes kind of split between them and it just doesn't work out for them to both make the drive there. But I think that's part of the reason why he's not going.
4: I'm sticking with he doesn't want to sink his boat. Fair enough.
0: Yeah, that seems like I just like walleye boats because they're deep bees, but how do the bass boats handle that type of water?
4: They're not made for six footers. Yeah. I will (laughs) tell you that. Um And there's certain boats on the market that handle waves better than others, as well as whether or not you have experience driving in waves. Yeah. You can have, you can have the best walleye boat in the, out there. And if you don't know how to drive in waves, you're not going to do great. So um, I would say experience is, um, you know, the most important thing.
2: Yeah. I definitely agree with that experience trumps everything. It's, matter how big of a boat you have if you know how to drive in big water it, that's kind of the difference maker yeah well, absolutely and you guys are used to that with Malak. i mean or
0: vermilion or whatnot um they can throw some big waves around at you
2: definitely yeah. and almost most of the lakes in minnesota especially Malak, where there's not many islands to break up waves no matter the direction of the wind it can get rolling out there and even on vermilion There's some really large bays that if there's any, any type of wind, it can get rolling and it can get pretty sketchy pretty quickly. So that's always something, even in like tournaments, you got to be, you got to be watching and playing the wind to make sure that you're going to be able to get back on time or something bad's not going to happen. And it's just part of it. Yeah. Do you remember? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, do you
0: remember Benny, when we were up in uh, Canada and you were ripping on like the tiny, tiny boat with Anton? And they yeah. were,
1: the waves were
2: huge. Yeah, sometimes when we're up there, we rent boats, which are just either 14 or 16 footers with just a little tiller on them. And it's, yeah, you can get in some pretty hairy situations if you don't watch the weather and play the wind up there. But
0: Dude, one of my favorite times up there was when you and me went to, what's the little, like super far one, super far lake, um, the huge one on the north end? Mount? Yeah, and we went in like that little bay, and me and you were in that like tiny little boat and we cruised all the way out there and all the way back.
2: <laughs> yeah, we we had some pretty fun times up there when you were up there. We had oh. a lot of adventures and caught a lot of fish. <laughs> what
4: <laughs> I've learned over my short time knowing chance is it is always an adventure.
0: <laughs> always <laughs> an adventure. Always something new. The best, dude, the best is when god we were how old were you 14 13 14 Mm -hmm. yeah and then uh we were all sitting around telling a story and whatnot and i like all of a sudden just said fuck (laughs) your dad's like what did you just say and everyone was like super (laughs) confused
2: (laughs) i do think i remember that up there that was a while ago
0: Oh, dude, I was like, I was like thinking back to myself. I'm like, oh, my God, where did I start? I was going to think I'm just a terrible person now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude, there was too many good times up in Canada. Like, those those are fun trips.
1: How many trips
3: did you take
0: chance with, yeah, Ben? I went on like three or
1: four. Yeah, I think I think around three Yeah, came up it was
0: the one year with henry yep and then the next year didn't come and it was danny came up yeah. i think that year
1: and then i think and then Tom, yeah came up that last year
0: yeah yeah dude we had some rowdy times oh. and we were playing
1: tribe called quest
0: for uh, henry <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how you remember all this it was so long ago oh dude those dude we had some times up there I knew we were slaying the walleyes too like
1: we we did do that your favorite
0: species dude that's just my bread and butter and then i missed a huge lake trout too
1: mm.
2: I remember that there is there is some lake trout up there and we have been able to catch a catch some of them and every year figure some more stuff out we, yeah
1: they're
2: fun they're a fun species that it's not a really good not a crazy population in minnesota there are lakes kind of Even in the Grand Rapids area, and as you get more north towards Vermilion or Ely area, you get some good populations of lake trout, especially in the boundary waters. But
1: I was going to say, do you guys lake trout fish at all up there?
4: uh this was our first year going after them. We had talked about it last couple years, like, oh god, we got to get after them, we got to get after them, and we finally did it this year. We only got out a couple times. We kind of so lake trout open uh what when do they open ben mid-january oh,
2: yeah mid-january
4: yeah and so it by the time that it opened we were kind of in that cold stretch and uh we did we did get out i think three different days and i will tell you one of the funnest fish i have ever fought yeah i mean definitely sure. deep too we're in like 90 feet yeah
2: between like 70 and 90 feet is where we caught them in- they're definitely one of the funnest fish to catch and to fight but they're definitely one of the the hardest fish to catch too it seems like you can hook up to them a lot but getting them through getting them up through the hole and getting them all the way out of the out of the water can be a challenge a lot of the time
4: and we didn't even catch any big ones i the biggest that we caught i think was like 20 25 26 which they can get like up to you know 40 plus inches oh, yeah. and these th- like we fought them for like several minutes It was, it was absolutely insane. I've, I've never experienced anything like that through the ice. Yeah.
2: Definitely one of my favorite fish to target the, through the ice. And next year, definitely want to spend a little more time going after them.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely.
2: Yeah. That'd be a blast
0: to fish them through the ice. I mean, fishing them just in open water was super fun.
1: Find like some nice humps and, uh, just get after them.
2: Yeah. They're definitely fun in open water. Just we always just use light walleye gear and just medium, medium light rods. And it seems like they're one of the hardest fighting fish pound for pound that you can catch on fresh water. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I was going to say too, um, like you guys do a ton of ice fishing up there. What is your like main target species?
2: Yeah, we're blessed to kind of go, go to school in an area where it's, Probably one of the best places in Minnesota for ice fishing. And we're only about at 45 minutes to an hour from Red Lake and probably another hour from there to Lake of the Woods, which are two of the best ice fishing walleye destinations in the world. And so we do the we do do that a fair amount, go after walleye's, but I think our really
1: our species that we target the most is definitely crappies.
4: Yeah. I would agree with that. Spend a lot of time chasing crappies. We have I don't know how many hundreds of lakes there are, um, in the County over there. I know in, in Itasca County here in Grand Rapids, um, there's, there's well over a thousand. Um, and so it's really fun to, but it's Ben and I, we, we spend a lot of time looking at Minnesota Lake Finder. Um, you can literally spend days on end just trying to search and pick out a lake. There's literally some days where we sit inside trying to, pick a lake to fish that day and we don't even make it out on the water.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What do you look for? Like when you're searching on lake finder?
1: Uh,
3: Um, Yeah. Go ahead, Ben. uh,
2: Yeah, we can, I mean, both Kobe and I have spent hours, especially when we were in the dorms last year, new to an area, we spent hours just trying to find lakes and it's, it's tough because you want to base it off of the, like, cause you can look at kind of like the fisheries reports on Lake Finder and kind of see what they're all about. And you can do it even definitely for walleyes and bass. You can see they post like where they've stocked, especially walleyes, you can see the stockings and that can really help you find lakes that are better than others. But a lot of the crappie lakes we look for, we kind of look, some of it we look for is how it sets up and if there's like how like the area sets up and if there's like place where you can specifically target them. And you try to get a gauge. You can kind of look at the population of them and see like how many fish they did catch in their nets, and kind of like even like the size and age of them. And if you can like see that there are lakes that can grow them bigger than average, those lakes kind of pique your interest to where those could be places where you could potentially go in or get into some bigger fish. But it's not. I want to say it's accurate, but some of like the best lakes that I've been on uh, the reports from really don't look that good, but when you go there, you can really get into them. Um,
4: yeah, I would agree with you. I would say for every every five lakes that we pick on Lake Finder, we find one good one. <laughs> it seems like, yeah, like Ben was saying, um kind of looking at how the lake sets up. Obviously, if you're chasing crappies in the winter, you're gonna want to find, you know, a good looking basin, um, a good hole. Or multiple holes. And I would say from what we've found more often than not, the bigger lakes hold the bigger fish. Obviously a lot harder to find them on bigger lakes. They have a lot more room to swim around, but I would say in my experience at least, um, the bigger lakes seem to be where the bigger fish are.
2: And we definitely, we spent a lot of time up here for bass and crappies trying to find like some little honey hole little gem, little lake up here, but we just never ran. We tried a bunch of them and struck out at a bunch of them. There's a lot of them where you don't even mark a fish, never, never even get a bite. And that's just part of it. But we kind of figured, kind of figured out even for bass and crappies that like the bigger lakes just hold bigger species. And like, it's just, even though they're tougher to find out there, it's more worth your time to spend more time out there than to go chase after little lakes all the time.
4: And it's definitely a chain reaction, mm-hmm. I would say um if a lake has big bluegills it's gonna have big bass if it has big crappies it's gonna have big bass big northern big whatever mm-hmm. um and i've found that kind of throughout minnesota throughout the country even that there are big fish lakes um that just grow them different yeah and so if you i mean that like, for instance if i was out ice fishing over the winter and got into some big bluegills i'd probably be pretty prone to go back open water and try for bass yeah
0: yeah and i mean i even ran into that a little bit too i mean my lake and my cabin's on there's a lot of really nice sized crappies that we can catch and i mean we catch some pretty decent sized bass too i would say wouldn't you say ben definitely there's some big ones in there for sure like i had that one that I missed on the fly rod right before we were about to go to Fitz's. God, dude, that thing was, that's the biggest bass I've ever seen in my life.
1: Yeah. I mean, you've, you've spent some time up there and you've caught a few big ones out of there. Yeah. I mean, it's
0: a nice area, too. Like that, that area doesn't really get fished super hard, in my opinion, for bass. Like, I mean, I'd, I would never see anybody fishing besides like hand fishing out on our lake. I mean, I know there's, there's that one kid, don't you know, that lives out on horseshoe?
1: Yep. Actually,
2: one of Kobe and I's buddies has a cabin out there and has fished a lot. His name's name's Vic. He's from, he's also a high school fisherman from, he fishes for Minnetonka and just actually last year, just like recently won the SATT, which is like the kind of a league, a high school league in Minnesota that was created a few years ago. That's, kind of the biggest high school league that everybody fishes in Minnesota. He actually won like the TOC determined Champions last year. and He has a cabin on the same lake as you and catches a bunch of bass out of it too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're not hard to catch on my lake. Just throw a little stanko underneath the docks. And you really dial that in. You find some nice docks. Yeah, I found, I mean, there's a couple of docks that just consistently hold big fish. I don't know what it is.
2: <laughs> I definitely agree with that. Even on like Lakes, almost all lakes in Minnesota, like especially I've spent some time in Minnetonka, and it does seem like there is like special docks on the lake. I don't know if it's just how they set up or just where they are, but there are definitely special docks that hold bigger than average fish all the time. And you can kind of eliminate some time by finding those places. So in a tournament, you don't have to fish a huge long stretch. You could just go to that same dock and just quickly hit it for five minutes and you could get the bite you need.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And with you guys, like, Fishing tournaments out of the states um, and not knowing the area, how do you kind of figure out how you're going to fish different types of bass? Because, I mean, it's just like hunting. I mean, you hunt Minnesota big honkers, but then you go to Texas and you hunt lessers. It's a way different
4: ballgame. So, how yeah. do you guys deal with that? uh Like anything out there, you know, whether it's hunting, fishing, um, in your personal life, you have to put in a lot of work. Um, There's a lot of hours behind the computer, behind the phone, researching, um, you know, different articles, different, you know, tournament results from, you know, Google Earth to, you know, Navionics, that kind of stuff, you know, both Ben and I put in a lot of work, um, you know, the, this tournament on Saginaw Bay was announced two days ago and both Ben and I have but hours behind the screen already. Um and so I really I really believe in that no matter what you're doing in life, if you outwork people, you'll you'll be successful.
2: Yeah. Definitely. I definitely agree that putting in your time before you even get to the lake is a huge part of being successful. Being especially like traveling, if you're gonna travel the country and go fish a different place, different body of water. Put in your time and like researching there's tons of information on basically every lake in the country and you can find like past tournament results you can see like different year classes of like fish and you can kind of get a gauge on what you think like it might take to win the tournament or like to cash a check depending what you want to go for and you can kind of see by researching and finding articles there's even youtube youtube has blown up the last i don't know how long and but fishing on youtube is just huge and if you research almost any lake in the country, there's most likely probably a video of someone fishing out there. You can learn a lot from those just watching videos or reading forums of what guys have done in the past and what you, you can kind of get an idea of what you think might work out there.
4: As well as I would say fishing in different parts of the country there, the stage in which those fisheries are on is so much different than what we're experiencing up here in Minnesota. Um, you know, for instance, like we are on, we were in South Carolina and those fish were, you know, getting ready to spawn up North, there's three feet of ice. Um, and that, that kind of same pattern, um, is definitely evident, you know, in the summer, I've fished a lot of tournaments down South, um, you know, from June, July, August, where those fish are in a completely different stage than you know what they're doing up here in Minnesota. And so researching that part definitely helps as well, you know, cause you can waste a lot of time doing something that you were, that you were just doing up in Minnesota and you try to do that down South and there's no fish. So. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys talked a lot about, you know,
0: online social media and whatnot that's helped you um, catch more fish or find out a different area. That works. Um, do you think social media has had more of a pro to the fishing industry or more of a con in saying some lakes that get blown up and outfished because of social media or because of like certain graphs that can, you know, take away a fish population or whatnot? Um, what are your kind of thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I definitely think it, like, so there's pros and cons of social media. Just for an example, there's a lake in Texas named Oh Ivy, And earlier this spring, uh, there were some guys that went out there and uh, caught a bunch of just giant largemouth, like some pushing over 13 pounds. And it kind of got, it was basically a lake in the middle of nowhere. And within a few weeks from social media, the lake was probably the most popular lake and most popular lakes in uh, Texas. And probably in the next couple of years, it's going to get, Fished a ton just because people saw the size of fish that do live in it. And that's one part of it that can all those people that kind of knew about it, but like kind of kept it a secret. Now there's gonna be people traveling from all over the country to come fish it. And that it, it can be a pro and a con that places around the lake are gonna get good business, but the lake's gonna get beat up on pretty bad. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I would, as far as my opinion on it, I would say the fishing industry in general um is it's in the best place it's ever been um and i think a lot of that has to do with social media um and so i i don't like i i mean i wouldn't have a job right now if it wasn't for social media in the fishing industry um and so i have to credit a lot of that to you know to social media and as far as you know you you touched on technology and there's a lot of controversy right now um on fishing technology um you know a lot of old timers are just there's you know there's some people out there in general that are very against um some of this technology that's coming out most popular would be live sonar live forward-facing sonar um and there's a lot of people that feel like it's cheating and i guess that's just the way that you know, the world is going right now. We're not, uh, we're not, we're not going backwards anytime soon as far as technology goes. And so um, I guess my viewpoint on it is, you know, kind of adapt or die. Yeah.
2: Definitely. And Toby and I have had the chance to use a forward facing sonar a little bit and got, get to play around with it on the ice and on open water. And it, it is incredible technology. And there are people that do kind of, complain about it and think it should be like illegal to use in tournaments or shouldn't be allowed, but it's kind of just how the world's going. Like Kobe said, that everything's kind of evolving. Everything's getting better, whether it's cell phones or graphs on boats, everything's going to keep getting better and evolving. So kind of just part of the world and how it's going to go. Yeah.
0: Cause I mean, I've talked to like my grandpa and his buddies and they talk about, Oh, the new, new electronics makes it like, so easy to fish and catch such easy fish, like no problem. But at the same time, like you could not know what you're doing at all, and electronics
4: not going to save you. Um, and so
3: definitely, there's
4: both yeah. sides. Okay. Exactly, you still need to know how to fish, right? Yeah,
2: definitely. It's, it's definitely. like a forward facing sonar. Kobe and I ran into it a lot, where you can see the fish and you can put a bait right in front of their face, but they want nothing to do with it, and it doesn't catch It, it doesn't catch them for you. You still got to catch them. So you're yeah. still still fishing you never know
4: yeah i would completely agree with that as well as you know the, from i mean i i thought it was very eye-opening when we were down in uh south carolina that i felt like half the field had forward-facing technology and it, it was it was very mind-blowing i didn't i didn't think there there was gonna be that many people with it and so i mean i've noticed it already with the advancement in technology over the last you know 10 years or or whatnot fish are definitely getting smarter um you know you talk to older people that you know fish generations before you and it was you know the their stories it seemed like they were catching them every cast and it's just not that way anymore no matter you know what part of the country you're in and so I definitely feel like technology has had something to do with that. And these fish are getting smarter um every day. Yeah.
0: And you do some work with wired to fish as well, Toby.
4: Yep. Yep. So um this is my fifth year um interning at Wired to Fish. Uh I've been super fortunate to work with those guys um over the last few years and and you know, super blessed. And that's actually the reason that I'm going to school for. marketing communications and media and that's what i want to do someday they've really um influenced my life in a in a great way and i want to continue my career in the fishing industry so yeah and with working with those guys what do you do um at wired to Fish? yeah so uh wired is a it's a media production company um it's the largest fishing media production company in the world um and so I do a little bit of everything. Um, you know, I started when I was, when I was 15 years old and I really didn't, I didn't know much. Um, you know, a lot of what wired to fish does, um, is they publish articles, they publish videos, um, they do a lot of production work, um, with cameras and whatnot. And I didn't know anything to do with that. And so, uh, you know, my first year or two, I was really just the guy that, did a little bit of everything what they said and kind of picked up, um, you know, some of those skills along the way and did a lot of training courses on, you know, on video cameras and, and still photography and editing and that kind of stuff. And now today I I do a little bit of everything, um, do some videoing, some still photography, some editing that kind of stuff. And I've I've loved every minute of it. Absolutely.
0: And what are some of the things you've learned with working with those guys? I mean, having oh, the biggest, yeah. biggest company yeah. in I've, the
4: industry. I have learned so much and I, I feel like I have applied a lot of that, um, to my individual fishing, just from things that I've learned, you know, we've, we're fortunate enough at where to fish to work with, you know, all, all the pros and just some of the stuff that, um, they share with not only us but everybody you know in our in our videos that we publish and stuff. I've really learned a lot from them as well as just messing around um with different you know technologies baits rods, that kind of stuff um with the companies that we are with at where to fish, I get to see a lot of things through the door um that I feel like really really helped me and I get to test a a, you know a lot of products so um I feel like I've really been able to you know test a lot of different things and I feel very fortunate for that yeah that's awesome
0: and then uh I mean with your fishing career at Bemidji what are some of the things that you guys have picked
1: up along the way with you know teamwork and all that kind of aspect yeah Yeah. I guess Toby and I kind of met. We
2: were both kind of looking for a roommate uh, for our freshman year at college and we kind of just connected over social media and started talking, decided to be roommates and weren't originally planning on, we were going to fish tournaments together, but some stuff happened our freshman year and it, we just kind of aligned and decided that we were going to try to do it. And so what would have been last summer, we fished a couple of our first tournaments together and most of them went pretty well and we had some success and it just kind of grew from there. And we just kind of committed to it. And that's, yeah, just kind of how it started. It started
1: pretty, it was, I don't know.
4: Yeah. And we, I I guess we kind of came in our freshman year, um, kind of in a rebuilding period, I would say with the Bemidji state university fishing team. Um, lost a lot of seniors had a lot of um you know incoming freshmen a lot of you know younger people our our president um john crumzig he he took over the president role um his second half of his freshman year and so it was a big learning experience for all of us and um you know so that was that was really interesting co- coming in our our freshman year we didn't really know what to expect but um I would say over the last year and a half or so we've really I would say we've really evolved as a team and like you like you mentioned chance with as far as teamwork goes I've I've made a lot of friends on the fishing team um and we kind of bounce ideas off of each other and I would definitely say that that has been something that's helped me as well And do you guys fish all the same tournaments then as well?
2: Yeah, as a team we have, as like a Bemidji team, we have uh, a group of like a set of fall tournaments that we fish during the first couple months of the school year just on local lakes or on the Bemidji area. So those are kind of just limited to college students. But then in the spring is when like the national organizations can hold tournaments where we can travel and fish against teams from colleges all over the country. So there's people traveling from California, there's people traveling from Texas, Alabama, from anywhere in the country. And so those, it's just kind of, you're on your own to kind of decide if you want to travel to those. And it just kind of depends with the team. There's Bemidji has, we have some kids that travel, some who don't, and it's <laughs> doesn't really matter if you do or not. With, there's a lot of good participation in the fall tournaments. It's they're normally about 15, 20 boats. So those are always a good time. And People really seem to enjoy those around the Bemidji area. And we kinda use those
4: as um I guess qualifying tournaments as well. A lot of a lot of stuff is based off of your performance in the fall tournaments, I would say. At least it used to be. It's not it's not so much that way anymore, but I know kinda how your overall performance, your standings at the end of the fall tournaments, kind of determined, um, you know, whether or not you were, you're traveling or not in the spring, as well as we can, we have certain requirements, you know, GPA requirements, um, that kind of stuff to fish in the spring. And one of those requirements um, would be, you know, you, that you participate in the fall tournaments and that kind of stuff. So they are, they're, Obviously super fun, but they are used as qualifying um, tournaments as well. Okay. Yeah, fair enough.
0: And uh, as we're getting into spring, how's the crappie fishing been for you boys?
2: Yeah, the I don't know how much Kobe's gotten out, but the the lakes, have, the lakes have just kind of thawed out up here. The I just kind of saw Lake Bemidji kind of lost just the last patch of ice the other day. And most of the small lakes in the area are open. And a couple of the big lakes around the area, like Leech Lake or Red Lake still have some ice on them, but I'm pretty sure in the next couple of weeks, this rain is probably going to hurt them pretty good. So their ice should be gone soon, but I've gone out in a few times and gotten to mess around and it's been, the water temps still pretty cold up here. So it's been kind of tough getting on them. We were able to find a few, they're kind of in transition from between where they hung out in the winter to where they're going to go up and spawn. Okay. So you want to, it's kind of about targeting like those mud bottom bays that warm up the quickest and trying to find them in there kind of when they're transitioning. But I know a lot of people, a lot of people that I know down in the cities in the southern half of the state where the lake's been open a little longer are getting, are seeing crappies moving up and seeing them getting ready to spawn and do their thing. So it's going to be coming up near quick where the crappies are going to be moving shallow and all the panfish are too.
4: Fair enough. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I don't really have much to say i haven't I haven't touched the water in a long time. Um, we're a little bit further behind than Ben is in Bemidji. um It seems like that is the case every year. um The Bemidji area has a lot more um shallower lakes um, than Grand Rap than the Grand Rapids area, and so I think the ice holds on for a little bit longer over here. <laughs> So I'm my, my lake just opened up that I'm on and uh, it won't be too long before I'll be out on the water, but I was hoping to get out. Um, I'm in quarantine right now, actually. Ooh. So I was hoping to get out fishing over the next couple of days, but we're in a torrential downpour as we speak. So.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> raining pretty good right now down here, at least well, it was earlier today and then Gonna rain later this week. I was almost not gonna be able to go turkey scout.
4: Yeah, yeah. Do you want you want to dive into that a bit, Chance? I know you're a, you're a turkey expert, dude.
0: So. I don't know if I would go turkey expert. That's that's a steep
4: statement. I saw I saw him on on the putting green the other day. He, I think he got him dialed. Oh, naturally, like at my house, dude. There's at my parents' house.
0: There's uh like turkeys everywhere. Me and Benny have hunted back there a few times and that was the early early years of moving there and uh they they gave us a run for their money we could have shot a lot of jakes though
2: tell me yeah. I'm yeah we always we always held out for a tom but we always had chances at birds there's a lot of birds in the area i don't they they always just seem to zig when we zag so it was tough to get on them but it was definitely learned a lot doing that and apply it to hunting now
0: yeah now that i've lived there for so long like i've got them pretty dialed um but i just don't i just don't bow hunt turkeys like i go down and i'm gonna go shotgun hunt them because that's just the area that i like to hunt um but yeah i i actually shot my first turkey last year down there can you believe that
1: yeah that's crazy like it's it's been a long time coming benny it has been. It's been a lot of years of trying, but oh my I'm glad god, able to get one! Very proud of you, dude. Me and Ben used to actually get after it, dude.
0: Like we had ben Benny's we, line down there, and yeah, we a lot.
1: dude. We go like every weekend and chase him around. Yeah.
2: yeah, we even did our fair share of deer hunting and trying to film a little bit, but never seemed to work our way. But we were young and didn't really know what we were doing, but. It was a good learning experience. You were at deer hunting during
4: turkey season?
2: No, no, no,
0: no, no. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I should have, though. Not yeah. But, dude, yeah. remember that one big ten? when we were sitting in the block line over the food plot, and he comes yeah. on the fence line and stops whiffs us and just runs off?
1: Oh, yeah. We had, our, we had our fair share of close encounters. But Oh, my
0: God, dude. It was so bad. The amount of close encounters with big deer out there. That I had that I just never never came about, and that's probably
1: why I put deer on it. Amen.
2: We even tried to shoot some geese out there, but yeah, uh, never had success doing that either. Dude, the best the best <laughs> is when we
0: dug that like layout blind and like would stack the sod on top of each other, and then we put a piece of plywood over the top, and we would just lay there, and then the one time we shot the arrow straight in the air, Cody gets
1: up and just starts booking it. Yeah, those are good times,
0: uh, dude. We've had some, we've had some adventures out there.
1: Yeah, I even tried to shoot a couple
0: ducks out there with my bow.
1: Yeah, I remember you trying to do that. I remember building the the blind in the pond. Yeah, dude. Okay, if we
0: if we could have hunted out there with guns, like. I probably would have tried to, like, plant corn and flood corn back there.
1: It would definitely be a different story if you were able to. It's just a little close to the city. I know, dude. Like, I wonder, like, if I would have went up to the chief of
0: police and asked if he could have given me, like, a written note that said I, like, legally could shoot back there. Because, dude, like, I was, we were in the middle of the city, but, like, there was nobody around because you're in
1: the bottom of this valley. It is a
2: pretty seclude for being right in the middle of the city. It is a very secluded place. And it's, it's kind of cool because even like for those deer and turkeys, it's just a little, like just a little like area where they can just hang out. And it's, I don't know how many acres that whole block of kind of woods and area is, but it's like a perfect place for them just to
1: kind of hide out back there. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're good friends with the police
0: chance. I'm sure they'd, They'd sign something off for you. Oh, naturally, dude. The police are always my friends. Like, yeah. you can't beat it. Me and Ben, we were, yeah, me and Ben have been yelled at quite a few times. I mean, we were we were hunting in this one pond, and <laughs> it was the dumbest thing ever. Like, it was, so we get down there, we access through this one dude's property, but then we want to hunt the other side of the pond because the wind's better. So we go set up on the other side of the pond, but if you're in the water, you're fine. Like you're not on anyone's property as long as you're in the water, like in your boat. And for the people that don't know, like Minnesota,
1: like rules. And so we were doing that. And then we heard something like in the back of like the woods where we were like sitting along,
0: this dude comes storming out. I'm going to call the DNR, the sheriff you're hunting on my property. And I'm like, dude, you got to chill out a bit. Like, we're not on your property we're hunting in the water like you can call the sheriff and dnr if you want like i'll chat with them and uh,
3: uh whatever and then they just pick up and leaves it like, is
2: it is a part of hunting in the in the city's area it can be tough with different <laughs> landowners and even just like people around you get a lot more people take interest in you and it always seems like even if you're completely legal, there's there's always someone trying to report you for something dude and it's always me
0: too like they're always calling on me like every time we were when we were hunting in northfield we're hunting this field that's right on the edge of city limits and i checked onyx like we were a good 100 yards off the city limits and (laughs) i guess i mean we were shooting we were shooting the shit out of them like we were just beating them up and just ducks and geese were just flying all over the place children walking by
2: (laughs) yeah it's that's part of the cities we're sitting in the cornfield we're in we're out of city limits but i mean just just behind us i don't know how far it was there's a neighborhood with kids getting picked up by a school bus and birds so it's yeah
0: and it's not like it's not like we were shooting towards that way we were shooting towards the farmland but like i guess somebody called the sheriff and then the sheriff drove past and he called the number on my trailer, which our Instagram for Smackem was connected to Colin's phone. And so Colin picks up, and he's like, "Yeah, you guys are really beating them up out there. But like next time, could you go a little bit more off city limits so you don't have people worried about you?" But God, I wish I could be out there with you And Colin calls me. He's like, "Yeah, the sheriff just called about yawning," and I'm like,
2: "Huh?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, yeah. You- it, we were completely legal but it was just you couldn't do anything but it was just people getting upset that that yeah it's that close but yeah they always the city limits are always changing every year as new developments get built so it's kind of kind of got to watch it down there oh yeah and like
0: i mean it's so easy to download the maps now like you can figure out where every city limit sign is and whatnot um but i mean yeah when you're going to be hunting that close to a suburb like literally a suburb and you're going to get people calling it no matter what, especially in that liberal of a town. Like
3: they don't like that kind of stuff around there. So you got to kind of be careful.
1: People get all worked up, but yeah, it was, it was kind of that we've had some good times, Benny. We definitely had some good hunts down there. Oh my
0: God, dude, we beat them up in Northfield too. Now everyone's going to go hunt, even though everybody does hunt down there. Oh. Drop a pin, dude. I should. I should just drop. If everyone drop wants a, a pin, pin, DM me. I'll give you my pins. We'll be good. 150 bucks and call you. <laughs> <laughs> we can hit you up for a guide trip.
4: Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, yes. Plug it. Plug it now.
0: Oh, I've been, I plug it right before. I mean, go, uh, come home with us chasing foul outfitters. I've been telling them it's, uh, gonna be fun. Dude, I'm picking up a new trailer, picking up a 16 footer. And uh got got the old four wheeler from the house and we're about to tear it up, dude. That's what I like to hear. No more walking into fields, dude. I can't do that anymore. I'm too old. Uh, You were you were really lugging it up in Bemidji. (laughs) Dude, I was taking my time, dude. You know, I I had a bad back
4: and uh Yeah, Chance is real, real busy. Real busy.
2: Naturally, as it seems, as everyone's carrying decoys and layouts and guns and shells, chance is just carrying his cup of coffee, just yeah, walking just out.
4: Just strutting through the field. He's hey. actually he actually dogging it though. He's out of breath. He's the only one without anything on his back. And he's the most out of breath. Dude, I'm complaining that we have to walk a hundred yards into this field. Dude,
0: the thing was, okay, for everyone listening, uh, we were hunting this field that you could easily drove into. And since they drive Chevys, they're too scared to drive in there. Unlike the old Ford, I ripped her right in there and we did fine. But everyone's like, oh my God, we're going to get stuck. And I'm like, all right, let me show you how it's done with the Ford. And think about how much time that saved us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah about
4: 10 minutes
2: yeah we've had our fair share of hunts in Bemidji where oh. in the morning it doesn't seem so bad and we call a bunch of decoys out in the field but then once you shoot your limited birds and at the end of the day you gotta carry everything back we've had some really really bad experiences having to carry everything back after just walking out Yeah,
0: dude that's why it's gonna be sick I'm just gonna bring the trailer up and I'll bring exactly. the wheeler and we're gonna be set. Exactly. All the
4: oh, wheeler over there as well. Next year, we'll- no way. Yeah, we'll be good. We'll be we'll be good to go. Yeah, Dude. plug the Bemidji branch for a sec.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, if you guys are looking to get on a guided hunt, we're gonna do a Bemidji branch. Keep your eyes out. keep them open. Um, you know, Kobe and Ben are gonna be running it for me. Always. Naturally. Always. Got to look for killers. I'm a loyal. Dude, you've been you've been loyal the entire time. It's going to be going to be rowdy next year though. You boys uh you boys better be ready to get after
1: him.
3: Always. Dude, It'll always. definitely be fun. Yeah. And so back to digging the turkey on a little bit. You boys going to be doing some turkey on?
2: I will definitely be out at least for probably one weekend this year. It's probably the only time I'll get out there, but hopefully can connect on one, but I don't know if Kobe will be able to get out or not.
4: I will probably not. Um, I think the last time I was turkey hunting, oh boy. I can't even remember. I growing up, I did a lot of turkey hunting down in the Rochester area. Um oh, with yeah. some really good friends down there. And that's obviously a turkey mecca. Yeah. Um and kind of so, like right yeah. where I bite where I
0: turkey
3: hunt
4: in that area. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um yeah, it was super fun when I was younger and then uh it always seems like this time of year just gets super busy and haven't been able to make it down there in the last few years. But, um, obviously turkey hunting is super, super fun. Uh, it can get really addicting and, um, I would for sure, um, you know, get back into it.
1: Oh, absolutely. Ben, are you going up to Alex?
2: Yeah, I will be in the Alexandria area hunting turkeys. So there's a lot of birds in that area too. There's plenty of them to chase after, just like the Rochester area. Yeah.
0: Dude, I remember the one time we went up there. Dude, we left at like 3 in the morning. 2 yep. in the morning. Yep. We just hiked all the way up there.
1: Yeah, I remember. We saw plenty of birds, just never connected on one. But yeah, because no one gave us permission. Yeah, we couldn't get
0: permission on anything. No, nobody was like home in any of these houses that we went to. Yeah, it's tough like and for only going up for one day like
2: that was a tough. you
4: thing. guys just drove up for the day <laughs>
2: dude we we're like Definitely. 16 at the time and yeah, we left at like two or three in the morning and yeah. drove up got there before dark and we <laughs> were able to hunt the morning and hunted the rest of the afternoon and then home at night grinders dude yeah
0: it was so fun.
2: i had to like beg my
0: parents and like, Are you sure you could drive that far at night i'm like ma don't even worry about it this ain't my first rodeo
2: i'm I'm kind of surprised we made it in the old ford what i'm kind of surprised we made it in the ford
0: (laughs) oh my god dude that thing's just a unit i've been
1: uh i've been quite the quite the places with that thing dude we got to uh are we gonna make our snow goose trip this year
0: i need it last year i missed it dude i was gonna come up and hunt with you boys
4: and you went over halloween yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess for, I mean, most people are have been chasing snows for you know, the last couple of months or whatever, but, uh, Bet and I do not go after spring snows.
2: Huh? <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. Oh,
4: yeah. That, that, and I feel like I just get my head kicked in every time. Oh my I've God, dude. Heard, I've heard of way too many bad stories. I, I know I have a lot of friends that go out and do it and, uh, it doesn't seem all that much fun. I'd rather go catch a bass, but, um, we, so a lot of people I'm sure, um, that are listening hunt in North Dakota, or have hunted in North Dakota and on your non-resident license, you get two separate weeks and we take advantage of that. And both Ben and I, the last few years have gone out for two full weeks. And one of the weeks um, we dedicate to chasing snows um, and it is a blast. Super, super fun. Obviously no, no e-collars or anything like that, but the birds that are coming down from Canada um, are a lot dumber than they are in the spring, I will tell you. And so I've had a ton of fun the last couple of years and I will plan to keep doing that um, for years to come. Yeah, really? Dude, they're just so dumb.
0: Like, when you hunt them in the spring, dude, I mean, in the fall, like those juvies that are rolling through, they're just dumber in a box of rocks. Yeah, Chance, you've chased them. Uh, oh, yeah. The last years. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they are just, they're dumb, dumb, dumb. And, yeah, it's so
4: much fun. Oh, my God. Yeah.
0: Dude, when the Rossies are flipping.
4: Yeah, and nobody's chasing them. Yeah. That's what I love. Yeah, yeah you can
2: get most there. of the feed to yourself and almost all the farmers out there too. If, if they got snow geese and you ask them to hunt snow geese, they're almost all of them will let you go because they're kind of a nuisance to some farmers. So it's pretty easy to get permission out there too. Yeah.
3: Oh, exactly. And then the nice thing is too,
1: if it's not posted, you can go hunt it. Sure. Sure. That's a plus and a half. But now, yeah, yeah. I mean, snows are just, there's a blast
0: in the fall. I mean, they're like, you're saying, dude, they're tough in the spring. Luckily enough, I was able to go with some really good guys Um, and we were able to shoot them up, but it doesn't go like that more times than not. Yeah. That's from everything
4: I've heard. Your, your best bet of, you know, having a hundred bird is just to go jump shoot, yeah. which I am, not. A, which I am not a fan of. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd rather have them finish in my face. So oh, yeah, I, I kind of stay clear of of the whole spring snow goose deal i might i'll probably get drug into it at some point got enough snow decoys where probably use them more than once a year but uh (laughs) but i will continue to chase them in the fall that's that's one thing that i have always looked forward to it seems like every fall yeah oh yeah and dude yeah like those
0: guys that guide spring snow goose hunts like they're the real deal if you want a hardworking dude like you better pick up a snow goose guide yeah,
1: Setting that's spreads.
2: The, yeah like, even just when we go out for a week that that week is one of the most grueling weeks of the year it seems like because we try to get up we get up really early you set up i mean we only set up we set up close to a thousand decoys where even there's some guides and outfitters who will set two three thousand decoys they'll move spreads every single day and, I just can't imagine the work that the amount of work that they put in to find feeds and chase them all the way from Arkansas to North Dakota and setting spreads every day, getting up early every day, scouting every day. It's just, it's pretty crazy. The amount of work they put in.
4: Yeah. yeah. Mad respect for those dudes.
0: Oh yeah. Like I'm, I'm going to be talking with Trevor Bennett um, tomorrow about it. And it, it's like, he is out there grinding from Arkansas all the way up to North Dakota. And usually go to Canada if it was open, but I mean that dude's like setting spreads every single day, chasing feeds every single day.
1: Yeah, oh you definitely have to really love
2: it to be able to do that. That is, that's like mad respect for him to be be able to do that. And I mean, if you love it enough like that, you can do that. But not me. It's not for everyone. Yeah,
4: yeah, I love it enough to go chase him for a week, and then or uh, at yeah at some point during that week we get our heads kicked down like screw these birds and <laughs> Yeah. But oh yeah dude. They're they're called
0: white devils for a reason. Oh I heard that. Yeah, I know we'll have to uh dude I wanna get on that snow goose trip with you guys. I've been meaning to do it like the past two years just It'll always pick the worst time. <laughs> I'm always doing yeah. something that week. <laughs> yeah, yeah no I, I don't it's... know if that's a coincidence or not, but
4: it seems like that we that week that we go is when the migration comes through our area that we hunt yeah I, I don't know, it just seems like it it sets up that way at least the last couple of years, and yeah I don't know it's last last year was was a hell of a time I would have loved to have you with, dude, I know I was looking at the
0: photos and Ben was sending me some stuff, and you were sending me some stuff and I was like
4: yeah, it doesn't sound bad. Just hundreds and thousands of birds just in your face. I'll, yeah. I will I will never forget that. I, I've never chased a animal that you shoot at it once, and then it circles, and then comes back, <laughs> and then you shoot at it twice, and it circles, and comes back, <laughs> and then you shoot at it three times, and then four times, and then five times. Uh, we shot the same group. Five
1: times.
2: (laughs) It's, and it was, it was the most insane thing because there's five of us and we're just laying under socks and we shot them the first time. They came back. We all reloaded and we shot them again. And then by that time, we're all just like dying of laughter. And it, we just almost shot a whole box at the same flock. And it was just one of the, something I will never forget. Absolute mayhem. Yeah. Like, what,
4: yeah. I mean, there was only, there was only five of us that first day because we didn't, all you know the rest of our group hadn't come up yet and we found a feed that we were like oh my god like we just have to hunt it and yeah i mean it was just as fast as you could you could load your gun and we figured oh yeah i mean probably got you know 60 70 birds like you know one of the one of the better days that i've ever had snow goose hunting by the time it was all said and done like we were finding snow geese like even after we thought that we we like had the pile done we ended up with like 115 or something five five guys that's you know without without tubes and it for you know i mean that's Dollars and stuff like definitely,
2: that yeah. yeah the stars yeah. definitely have to align for that to happen
0: yeah oh, I think, i'll never forget yeah i think a good snow goose hunt is what every waterfowler needs to experience once. I completely agree.
2: Yeah. Once you do it once and you experience it, there's nothing like it. And, and, and I think in any type of hunting, there's just nothing compares to it. It's just the most, like the most mayhem you can have in a single hunt. hmm I just like,
4: just the noise that you hear. It's unbelievable. I mean, like for the, like the week after we get back from that trip, all I hear are snow geese.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah, dude. I'm Imagine sitting next
0: to an e-collar for two weeks. Yeah, Man. that would drive me nuts. Dude, I
2: I get real hero, I'm pretty sure. They're such a unique bird too. It's like almost every single bird is different. There's from jubies to adults and blues and Rossies and adult snows. Every single bird looks different. And it's just like they're just really cool to chase after. Dude, and I mean, what the guys that I've had the privilege to with.
0: For spring snow geese um, and the amount of knowledge I took away was like how these birds make such different sounds than one another and like in certain scenarios this is the sound you use and whatnot like it's such a like when you're running e collars like that it's such a like
2: calling game
0: on figuring out these snows in the spring
2: and i I've heard the same thing where I mean I've never really hunted in the spring but I've heard that birds can get kind of keyed in on certain like tracks that people play on e-callers and they'll like be smart enough to like recognize that that's like an e-caller. And so people are always constantly trying to find like new like sounds and variations to like keep it unique and try to outsmart the birds.
0: Yeah. Oh, there's no question about it. Cause I mean, it's just like anything else. I mean, if you run the same, um, spread every day in a field, they're going to realize it for like big geese. And it's the same thing for snow geese. I mean, you're having everybody use the same call from Arkansas to South Dakota. You got to switch some things up.
2: And even bringing it back to bass fishing every, every year there's new lures coming out. And like, it seems like if, if you can, if someone comes out with a new lure, it can just, just be amazing for a couple of years. Cause it's just like the fish have never seen anything like, like recently a chatterbait. <laughs> couple of years ago kind of came out and really came onto like the bass fishing tournament scene and it just has crushed fish since it came out and it's just a slight variation of just a swim jig that has it has a blade on the front of it that just kind of produces kind of a chatter and gives some vibration off but it's just something they hadn't really seen much and it's just been kind of a game changer the last couple of years
1: yeah oh
0: i i was gonna ask you about that on like different baits on how well like these new ones are really working and whatnot because I mean you run it into the waterfall industry as well like a frames come out layout lines come out and it's like the new thing and like you're just able to beat birds up so easy because they don't know what's going on and like playing that into the bass fishing deal um like with the new baits you were
3: talking about um that's that's very similar and it's pretty sweet to think about
4: yeah for sure um yeah I mean like like you said there's there's always these new things coming out and at least for me I don't know I I mean I I feel like I spend way too much money on fishing and hunting but for me I always feel like it's worth a try yeah all this stuff um you know cuz if you can get ahead of the game or you know do something a little bit different than the mass majority it can definitely pay off in the long run and so yeah I I always feel like I have to test the new stuff that comes out at least at least try it because um you know a, a couple more fish in the boat could make all the difference at the end of the day
1: yeah.
2: definitely I mean bringing it back to waterfall both kobe and i have kind of started to dabble in like silhouettes for geese and we had both kind of been diehard full-body guys but we kind of dabbled in silhouettes and kind of figured out the like we're up here we have to walk into a lot of fields it's really nice to be able to walk in rather than you can carry five dozen silhouettes on your shoulder rather than being, being like carry a bunch of big full bodies in that when you're walking in, it can be really beneficial to just use silhouettes versus full bodies. But even when you can drive in a field, it's a lot of guys prefer to use big spreads of full bodies. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. I hear you on that. I mean, you guys know better than anyone. You walk into every field basically.
1: Yeah.
4: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And I've always been like super stubborn on it as far as like, I've always ran full bodies my entire life. And I, I've always, you know, thought, Oh gosh, like I'm not, I'm never going to know in any silhouettes. And yeah, I mean, you just, when you run into different styles of hunting, like, like we do in, in Bemidji, where we're walking into every field or, I mean, just, you know, more advantages of silhouettes in general, whether it's, you know, throwing, throwing shadows or you know you know whatever it, it has to do but um i definitely will will continue to buy more silhouettes
0: <laughs> yeah oh dude i just love them for how much time they save
3: and like how big a spreads you can actually throw with them like five dozen yeah. dude
1: you can stretch them out and make them big yeah it's
2: definitely a huge time saver being you know and just space like with a trailer if you want to, if you fill it with full bodies, you, you're not going to get that many, like a crazy amount in there. But if you filled it with silhouettes, you could get just a ridiculous amount of silhouettes in there. So I think guys are able to throw a lot bigger spreads, which kind of some birds someplace in the country that really helps them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, down
0: here, late season, the bigger spread you can throw, the better. And those dive bombs, dude, I've stretched them out far and long. Now maybe I haven't talked about talk with Horace about it on like when you're running them a lot of guys will like run into the problem of running them too tight and not giving them the space they need and so i took that away um and like towards
3: the end of the season and i mean it worked out pretty nicely on just how the spread looks and everything
1: yeah yeah for sure i could completely see that you know you know a bird turn a corner and all of a sudden
4: they're just hit with a giant pack of silo- <laughs> silhouettes and yeah i could see where that would would throw them off i i've always i've been at fault for it for years for packing decoys tight and i i completely see the advantages of, of spreading them out yeah
0: yeah gentlemen i mean we covered a lot today is there anything else that you would like kind of like to run over quick um before we
4: kind of wrap things up
1: oh man i
4: i don't have anything else
2: um yeah i don't really either we covered just about everything from hunting to fishing to just about all there can be
4: yeah i feel like i could literally talk for hours but it it is it is what it is yeah maybe uh, maybe a returning episode would would might be needed so Dude, i could see it and uh
0: you boys did a hell of a job thanks for hopping on giving the you know a little tour on college fast fishing and i mean everything else
4: yeah yeah for sure and i appreciate you having us on i i certainly uh enjoyed it yeah,
2: yeah thanks for definitely thanks for having us on i'd love to come back on it in a future date and be able to do this again Absolutely, brothers.
0: I'll, uh, chat with you soon. All right. righty, Sounds good. Thanks, Jan. Thank you. And that wraps things up today for our episode with living the guide life, truly a treat to get to talk with Ben and Kobe. Um, some just really down to earth dudes love what they do and are really good at it too. I mean, that was a just awesome conversation, you know, dig into a little bit of everything on bass fishing. Um, I know we'll probably end up doing another one here once it gets into the summer, kind of dig in those tactics a little bit more and uh, see where that can kind of take you guys on that time of year and maybe on certain tactics that you can use out on the water. Um, I hope that everyone's out there doing some fishing right now. I know we can't bass fish and walleye fish and all that kind of stuff in Minnesota. You can only pan fish, so that's what they're doing right now. They're catching some awesome crappies. And so once that season starts up, that will be really useful on, you know, catching more fish out in the, the lake that you're fishing around home or maybe across the country making maybe some trips. I know uh I like to do trips or fly fishing. I assume the big bass guys like to do it the same. So uh hope you guys enjoyed this one. Hope you can take something away from the college bass fishing. And if you are in that area right now in high school on uh, thinking about doing that i'd say go for it because it's brought a bunch of great friendships for them and it's just something you love to do and you're never going to get sick of it really just a great teamwork aspect and just everything about is really cool so hope you guys enjoyed and uh we'll catch you on the next